You know what a hangover feels like to wake up to. You know how to cope with it. You know how to have this fight with your wife. You know how to get angry at your kids Mm -hmm. and feel like crap. You know how to just keep being a workaholic. It's sometimes just easier to stay with what's familiar. Ah, we're made for the unknown. Mm -hmm. There's more to you. This has been wrong about you. Because it can feel like, gosh, I have a 20-year addiction to pornography. I am a horrible man. Mm -hmm. And if I'm coming and saying, you're not a horrible man, that's been a pattern of living, and it's harmed you and the people around you, but it's not your death sentence. Mm. Now what? Sam Jolman, it brings me great joy to be here with you. This this has been long anticipated, actually, for quite a number of years. Um, welcome to the Become Good Soil podcast. Thank you. This is such a joy to be with you too, Morgan. Yeah, Sam, there, there's really a, a short list of men, very short list of men, that um, are peers mm-hmm. that I also view as men that, I think I'd say it this way, like they've become craftsmen of the masculine soul. Mm. Like it, we became friends. Uh, we were both John's students, mm-hmm. right? Almost well, over two decades ago, yeah. different classes, but young, eager, uninitiated men, mm-hmm. excited about God and his kingdom and all things masculine. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I love is we've been on these sort of parallel tracks going after the same thing, but in different expressions. You've run a private practice counseling um, for men and couples. um, And I've gone the route of wild at heart and become good soil, Mm -hmm. but we've been side by side. And therefore I see you looking over my, my, to my left or to my right very often, but we don't get a lot of time together. Yeah. Yeah, and you show up in my counseling office a lot of times as well. So <laughs> You mean when my marriage is in crisis and I'm the 8 o'clock appointment? Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah, not quite that. Um, yeah, no, men bring stories of mm. your work and your podcasts and your retreats and your book now. And it's such a joy to sit with guys who um, – they're there's like a layer of work that's already done Mm. uh, when we sit down together. So it's fun to just, like I said, you know, kind of fist bump you um, in in the room and it just feels like tag team work. So yeah, it does feel like shared, a shared mission um, in, in parallel ways. Yeah. Oh man, Sam, as I was praying about this, I realized like you have sat with hundreds of people, but but today we're focusing on men, hundreds of men, hundreds of stories, and um, our listeners are like-hearted. They are men and the women who love them, who are sold out to this path and process of masculine initiation, to become wholehearted, to become mature, to become well on the inside and, and filled to overflowing in order that we can um, steward who and what has been entrusted to our care. And so uh, I often feel a little like guilt when I send so many clients your way because I know that frankly, the good counselors, like they're full. And as we mm-hmm. talked about this morning, like you have a wait list, right? I mean, if mm-hmm. someone calls you mm-hmm. or finds you at samjolman.com, 
Um, they're awesome resources, but they're not going to get a quick, easy appointment with you right away. Yeah, yeah. I've got a wait list. And it's, um, it's I, I carry that with some grief because um, it's just such a gift to be in the seat that I have and sit with such hungry hearts yeah. and people who are so ready to grow. And um, so it's, it's hard to ask people to have to wait, but yeah. Um, yeah. So I think part of my heart for men in bringing you into the studio today was to give them the gift of, of a behind the scenes look at what you've learned about the soul of a man and some questions they can be thinking about, some work they can do, some places they can turn so that they can have some of what's been entrusted to your care. So I'd love to dive in, Sam, um, with some specific questions that are on my heart in this category of, of the masculine soul, restoration, and really masculine initiation. I think the the first story that comes to mind, you and I actually were together last week, yes. right? We had the joyful privilege of uh, being alongside our buddy for initiation of his son. Uh, it was a 13-year-old so rite of passage, right? Campfire, group of dads. And you said some words that have haunted me since that day. You looked at the young boy, I'll name him uh, Brian. And you said, you are welcome in the fellowship of men. Mm -hmm. You belong here. Mm -hmm. You have a place here. Mm -hmm. And Sam, when you said those words, I, I can just feel the emotion rise in me now. First off, I realized like, no one ever said that to me. Mm -hmm. And what would it have been like? How would life have been different if someone would have welcomed me and blessed what I was and what I wasn't yet mm -hmm. and provided a safe masculine space for me to come to if and when things got ugly. And so in that moment, there was just a sense of like safe, reminded of the safety with you, the trust of you, the confidence in the miles that you've journeyed with your own soul and from that in offering to other men. And so in that spirit, I, I just wanna kind of go behind the scenes and, and dig into this. Like in all these men that you've spent time with young and old, I think I'd want to start here. Like, what do you observe, Sam, going on in the hearts of men? Like it, these kind of general categories or themes of who lands in your office and why? Mm -hmm. Well, let me let me parse those two questions um, first. What lands men in my office can be a myriad of things. Um, could be usually there's some sort of inciting incident. Mm -hmm. Something happened. Uh, it could be uh, a marital fight, um, the hangover from some addiction moment that felt like, whoa, that was scary. Um, it could be the loss of somebody close mm. or another loss, like a loss of a job, um, a separation in their marriage. There's usually something that precipitates it, some crisis or some traumatic thing um, to their children, mm -hmm. um, to a relationship they've had, loss of a friend. Um, there's usually something that is kind of an inciting incident. I'm glad you divided those two questions because as you're saying that list, those are very broad, right? They're yes. very different. And, and then it makes me even more curious about that second question. Are there themes when these people come with such different 
um, inciting incidents. So here would be the thing that's in common to all those men that come in. Um, and this is something that I have loved to discover about men is that men have huge hearts, huge hearts. Um, uh, there's no, it's fair to say there are very, very, very few heartless men. Mm. And of course they make the news. Mm -hmm. So we see them. It's not to say they aren't out there, but most men have huge hearts. Um, and I would say most men are really trying to show up for their families, mm. uh, the people they love. Um, and, and again, to varying degrees, but at some point, I'm always struck with the fact that men are trying, men are trying yes. to show up. Um, it's, it's rare to meet a kind of purebred asshole mm. man. Mm. Um, a guy that's just kind of through and through for himself or through and through um, neglecting his family. Mm -hmm. um, and again, they exist. Like we all see them on the news, the guys that are like severely self-absorbed, like yes. the narcissistic leader that, you know, rockets out of control. But um, that that feels like the rare man. They get a lot of airtime. But most men are trying really hard yeah. to make their life work. Sam, when you name that most men have a huge heart, I'm so curious over time if you see it present very strongly their hearts as men in contrast to their hearts as women. In other words, all those inciting incidents you name, those categories, I'm sure that brings men and women. I think the question is like, what sets men apart? What do you notice of masculinity that's not just human, right? Mm. That in the image of God, he created us men and women, he mm -hmm. created us. Like, I'm curious what you mean by a masculine heart in contrast to the women that show up. Mm. I've observed that men tend to keep trying. Yes. Usually when men fail, it's a failure. It's usually in action. They 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 may blow something up yeah. or, oh, I had six beers. Mm -hmm. Or like it's a failure of action yep. in some way. Like we have the language of acting out. Yes. Right. Oh, I acted out like in a form of an addiction or in violence. Yep. Right. There's a sense of violence that can come there. Obviously that's harmful and, and broken. But I I'm always impressed with how eager men are to keep yes. risking. Yeah. So even in marriage counseling, to ask a man to take a risk with his wife, um, I, it's it's just so fun to watch men step it's, into that. It's so encouraging. It's so hopeful. Yeah. That what I hear you saying is below the brokenness is this heart that wants to want to be a good man. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and what I'm curious about, Sam, as you say that, so... I've sent the angry guy to your office and I've sent the passive guy to your office, right? I've sent the man who's in a place where he's failing to act. And I've sent the man who is failing to um, have a rule and reign over his strength and his temper. What I'm curious about in all of your clients, if you see something similar in both of those men below it. In other words, like if, if you had to kind of define like, is there a core struggle or is there a core 
dilemma that that's kind of the constancy, the thematic expression of the dilemma of masculinity broken and the hope of masculinity restored. Mm. I think it's where men begin to join their shame. So where a man begins to join an accusation against his heart um, and says, fine, I'll be the angry man. Fine. Mm. I, I, fine, I'll be the failure. So he takes it on his identity. Yes. He says, and, and, and usually it's because there's an overwhelming sense of accusation. Mm -hmm. um, and he says, fine, I'll be that. Mm. Um, and that's always a heartbreaking moment mm -hmm. to hear where... Um, where a man has done that, mm -hmm. um, where something of the accusations he struggles mm -hmm. with, or even, you know, things that are being said about him, or even how his failures are being narrated by his wife or people in his life. Mm -hmm. And he says, fine, I guess I'm just this. So I'm curious then in light of that, when you're meeting with a man, like everyone's coming in with something right? Like some pain or some question or some blow up, like you said, inciting incident. In your mind, in your heart, do you have kind of like a, an arc that you're hoping to take them on um, from kind of A to B to bring resolution, to bring recovered strength? Or is it very much case by case? In other words, are you coming with a grid of what you're looking for, and where they're stuck and what you do with it and how you move forward in general, or is it unique to every man? Well, the terrain is always unique, of course. How you walk through your story and it's always, we're over here, now we're over here, now we're in the present, now we're in the past. But the general theme is we're going to start with how you're coping. Mm -hmm. So what's what are you suffering today? What's in the present Right? What's that inciting incident mm -hmm. kind of stuff? What are you suffering? Um, and how are you coping? And that's usually where we start to enter into the places of agreement, the fine, I'll just do this, or mm -hmm. those patterns of functioning. Like uh, men find ways to keep moving mm. uh, to their own detriment usually. It's really hard for men to stop and recognize their need, we we tend to just keep going and, and keep functioning. So uh, usually the question I ask is, how are you coping? What are you doing to get through this? Or how are you coping with your bad marriage? How are you coping? Or, or the coping is coming in the room, right? It's the addiction yeah. that, that went too far that they're scared of. Mm -hmm. um, and so the coping is right there. And so we start to ask the questions of why that. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's a there's a um, there's usually deep symbolism to how we cope. Can you give a specific pick. example? Because that's fascinating to me. And I'm thinking as you describe that, the functionality, a man keeps moving. I think of every family and every organization as functionally dysfunctional, right? We don't yeah. know our own stuff. Um, because we're so close to it, but we step into another family and we go, that is just so strange the way they completely avoid that one topic, right? Or that one yes. person. Can you give like a real specific example that would help us understand 
what you're describing? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say all of our ways of coping, to borrow a line from our friend Dan Allender, mm -hmm. all of our ways of coping are a combination of relief and revenge. Mm. So um, relief, um, you know, simple, the, the man that has significant stress and anxiety mm -hmm. at his job, how his kids are doing, whatever the stress might be, right? Um, a couple shots of whiskey mm -hmm. or half a bottle of whiskey, right? What an incredible anxiety reliever. Yes. Except for the hangover. Mm -hmm. So, right, there's relief. He gets to relax yes. finally um, from all he's carrying. But the revenge is he's checked himself out now, mm. right? Half a bottle of whiskey. Well, now he's not present to himself. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and again, the revenge even on his own body, mm -hmm. his liver, like there's this almost self-harming nature yep. to our coping, self-harming, others harming, right? And now he's not actually present to the kids that he's anxious about. I'm just reminded how coping takes an infinite number of expressions, right? Mm -hmm. We are so sophisticated uh -huh. in our ability. I clean my garage. When all my world's going to shit, the first thing I find myself doing is longing to organize my garage. And it's not organize anything else in my house. It's my garage. And what is that? Mm -hmm. And there's something about that space that is like my adventure center. It's my, when I have time for my heart, I've got my mountain bike and all my camping gear and hunting gear and woodworking gear. And it just gets cluttered and overwhelmed and lost. And there's something about futzing in my garage that makes me feel, well, at least, at least, I can feel like a man for a minute. Mm -hmm. At least I can feel good for a minute. At least I know I've invested in something wor worthy mm -hmm. of investment. It's mm -hmm. funny how it, it's like therapeutic, but I also know there is a relief and revenge as you're describing it, this like boomerang effect, because I closed the door to my house. And my house, not my garage, but the rest of my home is where my people are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's success coping, right? Mm. There's there's like doing good things coping. It mm. doesn't have to be like bad addictions, like looking at my budget and making sure that's good and strategizing about that. Yes. When what I need to probably do is go have a conversation mm. with my kids or my wife or yes. God. And, and I'm avoiding that because this feels easier to bring some soothing or like some sense of control again yes. to my life. And then the re if I'm understanding right, the, the revenge, one of the revenge factors in that is like, look, I've got this down. Like I've mastered my budget. I've got control of my budget rather than this intimacy with God of, look, God, you are providing. Yeah, We're doing this in partnership. Yes. It almost enforces and strengthens that self-made man. Yeah. I'm self-reliant. I don't need God. My budget is solid. Yeah, and oftentimes I end those times still empty, mm. right? Like now I have this, great, it's good to budget. Yes. And yet 
it's not what I needed in that moment. Yeah. And now I'm still empty or there's still this rift with my wife that I need to address. And now I've avoided this conversation that actually probably could have brought genuine rest yes. to my life. Um, and well said. Or, or sometimes those things don't go well. Like you look at the budget and it actually looks terrible. And now, now I'm more anxious about yes. my life and, or now I have to try to make that thing work yes. better. So I get more stressed out. Mm. Um, you know, you could make a whole life of, of success coping. Like, um, you know, there are, there are people that never say no to helping people or I just need to make more money or I need to keep being successful because that's providing for my family, which is true, but that could lead to you actually not being present to the same family you're trying to keep alive right. with your success. All of those coping things just, they're, they're, they're the entrance into the heart. Yes. They're, and then they're the entrance into story. So when you ask, like, what's the general plan? Well, we start with what's wrong. Mm -hmm. Like, what, what have you, what's the inciting incident? Yes. So usually the question is, like, how can I help you? Yes. What's happened? What's, what's going on? And there's usually a present day thing. Then we talk about coping. Coping takes us into the heart. Heart takes us into story. So we don't start usually with story unless that's the inciting incident. But mm. even there, we pause to say, how are you coping? Mm. Um, so because if you, you enter your story without having first addressed how you've been coping with your story or your wounds mm -hmm. or your life, it's hard to know what you're looking for. Right. Um, it can it starts to feel like you're just gathering information not bringing your your heart along that's a fascinating way to get to actually the story that needs to be told both to yourself and to a caregiver right yes. a, a guide yeah so you get someone in their story and then what are you looking for or what are you hoping to access or accomplish so usually i'm waiting until a client brings me into their story so sometimes it might be I nudge them like, mm -hmm. does this feel familiar to you mm -hmm. to feel this much like a failure? Or um, usually we can start to hear accusations in things like, what are you coping with? Well, I'm trying to make sure I'm showing up or I feel like a failure or there, there's themes to those mm -hmm. things that you're trying to mitigate by with your coping. Yes. So, um, um, so usually we go from th that's when clients bring me into their story. Mm -hmm. Like, does this feel familiar? And then they start to step back into, yes, mm -hmm. I remember this or yeah, that feels familiar to this relationship. So you mentioned um, the idea of wounds. Is it fair that often in your clients' stories that some of the gold you're extracting and the places you're accessing are actually wounded parts of their masculine soul that then need tending to? Or are there really kind of other things that you're primarily looking for? I would say, you know, the greatest tool of evil is shame. 
It's no longer sin because Jesus has covered that. Mm. So in the life of a believer, shame is his best tool. Mm. If he can just inoculate you and get you to surrender and agree to things about yourself and take yourself out, cool. He's good with that. So mm. there's we're, we're looking for how has your shame become so believable? And that's always in story. There's always moments of wounding or fragmentation, I would say, where you split from some part of yourself, um, where, where the shame just felt true, true enough to say, yeah, that's probably true of me. Mm -hmm. And there's always history there. There's always a story that starts early in all of our lives. So um, we're trying to get to those places and moments where the shame felt true. Um, and that's always in wounding moments. Again, our friend Dan Allender would say the trauma and drama stories. Mm. Um, so the traumatic or the dramatic moments of our life where evil can sell that shame really well. So you're saying a bit of an inventory of trauma and drama in our story help to shed light on how these kind of major themes took root that aren't true. They're shame-based themes in our story. Yeah. Yeah. And we were just sitting in my office before this and I was sharing with you and my office has kind of become the treasure chest of um, animals harvested in the wild. Right. And they all came down because we painted the walls and I haven't put them up yet. And it's interesting by way of example of the reason why I have those stories on my walls are so I remember who I am mm -hmm. and what my father did because for many years, for decades, I would look in the mirror and what I would see is a fat, awkward boy. This is as a man, right? So I'm a man, I'm married, mm -hmm. kids. What I saw is a fat, awkward boy that couldn't handle himself in the wilderness and was best with a golf club and a pair of Argyle socks. Because mm -hmm. that was the childhood. That was my mm -hmm. years of initiation. You know, my initiation was peer-centered initiation, self-initiation, um, but it wasn't father-centered um, by older, wiser guides. And so God fathered me through wilderness and actually found my true heart. But because my story was kind of suburban, white collar golf world, I have this fundamental belief that that's the truest part of me. Mm. And all these animals are actually, I'm faking it. Mm. I'm trying to fake it to myself and to others. Mm. But the truth is they're actually the testimony mm -hmm. of God's prevailing care to say, I know who you are, I see who you mm -hmm. are, and I am relentless mm -hmm. to heal and restore the true man. Mm -hmm. So it's just an example of those things manifest in our everyday mm -hmm. life, but we have to engage our hearts so we can see what it's all about. Uh-huh, yes, yeah. Similarly, like I, as you're talking, I'm thinking like what's, What's that shame that's so familiar? And that's the thing about shame is it's really familiar, mm -hmm. right? So it can just kind of roll in like fog mm. where you it's a felt sense, right? Of like, oh, you know, uh, you, can, you can have those shame flinches kind of back into what you've 
just feel has been true of you. Yes. And and, and it can sometimes feel foreign to live free of shame for a while. Right. And so I love that you put up icons. Right. To help you remember those moments. Um, I was thinking, so I'm taking a, a risk in my life right now um, to, uh, it's probably a year and change ago, I took a risk. It's been on my heart to want to write a book. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I I started this process of exploring that and entering that. And it was in that time that a story of my own came back to me. So that's, that's risky. And all kinds of questions of like, can I do this? This is a whole new world to enter into. And a story came back to me of when I was probably 10 or 11. And I had completely forgotten about this. And um, there was a day where I was um, at my friend's house growing up, my friend Josh. He lived a couple miles away from my house. It was summertime. And I don't remember being at his house or when I left or why, but some at, my mom must have called to have me ride my bike home. So what I remember is coming down this hill mm-hmm. in our neighborhood on my stingray in front of our elementary school, and it was warm, and I was flying down this hill. And I felt really confident, and I thought, you know what, this moment needs a trick, right? Like, <laughs> this is so just boy. That's so boy. <laughs> this moment needs a trick. <laughs> so having, I don't know, probably just recently learned no hands right on your bike no hands that's what this moment needs <laughs> so i went no hands and it went gloriously and so oh right so now what it needs another trick oh buddy <laughs> <laughs> so i went no feet right i put my hands back no feet and wow man i am rocking the stingray right <laughs> so i'm thinking like where do you go from here What's the next trick behind no hands, right? Then no feet. Oh, my gosh. So I say, who's ever done no hands, no feet? Right? Uh, Oh. (laughs) Yes, you're cringing already. (laughs) So I attempted no hands, no feet in that moment. And for half a second, I actually succeeded in no hands, no feet. I was flying. With just my butt on oh this banana seat oh, of a stingray bike. And man, that pavement came fast. Oh. So fast. And the warmth of that hot pavement, you know, mm-hmm. from the sun, sun-baked pavement. And the sound of my bike tumbling down the hill. My knees, like, stinging mm-hmm. from having been skinned. Um, you'd think, like, that would be the most pain, right? And I had the wind knocked out of me. What I thought of most in that moment is who just saw me do that. Mm. And I need to get away from eyes right now. Wow. Because, of course, instantly I realized no hands, no feet. Like, that you can't do that right. on a bike. Um, but it's the voice of shame, right? You go from the yes. innocence of boyhood to what I hear you saying is the voice of shame is the predominant theme. Yes, so much so that you're literally neglecting the own you're neglecting the fact that you've been injured right yes. like you don't know how bad it is your wind's knocked out of you and you're only thinking about the shame yes 
And I, I literally remember thinking, because I was in front of my elementary yeah. school, what if my brother and his friends or what if my classmates had seen me? Wow. What if, what if school had been in and they saw that? And so I quickly ran to my bike, not even connecting to my body. It doesn't matter what's happened to me. Mm. I need to get away from who might be around and, wow. and see that. And that's where the story ended. Literally, I remember mm. getting on my bike and, and that's the snippet of the yes. story I had yes. that came back to me. You know, I was able to, this many decades later and having done lots of my own work, I was able to really love that boy's risk. Mm. And I think grieve for his, the pain of feeling foolish. Like, mm -hmm. what were you thinking taking that risk? I've been able to, over the last year and a half, love that story and love that boy more. Um, and I would say, what did I do to cope? I stopped risking mm. much. Mm. Um, again, I, I've taken risks and I've, I've done work in my life, but risk averse, yeah. Mm. That's probably where I struggle, being more cautious than I need to be. Yeah. Um, even mountain biking mm -hmm. now, like we live next to a beautiful park called U Valley Park. And when I go mountain biking with dudes, other friends, like it's usually me in the back. Mm. I'm not going to take the the feature first. Yes. Um, and and sometimes it will take me seeing them do it to then do it. Yes. But um, I'm sad about that yeah. for myself. Like, oh, that shame. What has that shame kept me from risking? And yet what I observe is that's not the end of the story, right? We're partway through yes. because you choosing to engage in writing this book, for example, it's the boy on the bike, no hands, no feet, right? Yeah. Like there's some, that is a risk and you're midstream in this process, but you have been entrusted with a message that the world needs to hear that's very unique from your vantage point. And that's a big risk. And mm -hmm. you don't know if you're going to hit the pavement. Mm -hmm. So yes, there's Ute Valley Park mountain biking and you notice the hesitation. And yet what I observe and hear you articulating is you're working through your story yeah. and you're not as paralyzed by yeah. fear as you once were. And you're actually exercising risk in a way that's only because you've excavated your story, you have come to be a student to understand the voice and presence of shame and the dilemma and its resolution of moving mm -hmm. through it. Mm -hmm. Every man I sit with has those stories. Mm. Every man, every person has those stories, those places where shame came and took something out, something out of your glory and where evil got you to surrender something of yourself because you, you thought, evil made you look like a fool or feel like a fool. That's the work I'm inviting my clients to do. That if we're doing, if I'm doing my job well, yes. we're, we're looking for where those moments happened, um, where you started to believe mm -hmm. the accusations in your life. So Sam, let me ask you this. We have the privilege of walking with a lot of men and mutually, our experience has been, there's a lot of good men. There's a lot of men that want to become who they were meant to be. But as you share that story, I'm sobered by the reality of outcomes. There are a lot of men that 
choose to pull the pin in the grenade and drop it at their own feet, like metaphorically, and blow up them and the people in their foxhole. Some men, you look back over a decade when they came in your office and they're doing well. Like I called my uh, one of my counselors. Um, I did this with my physician too. And I called them just to say, I'm doing great. Mm. Because I said, That's really I, cool. I wasn't when I came here, mm-hmm. but it was really awesome to call my PA mm-hmm. and say, I just want to tell you, um, I'm doing awesome. What you suggested I do, I did mm-hmm. last year mm-hmm. and I'm better than ever. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your mm-hmm. courage to speak truth into me. And we see both outcomes, generally mm-hmm. speaking, and then everything in between. So let me ask you from your vantage point, when you have hundreds of men inciting incidents, similar kind of universal dilemmas and a path out to restoration, to freedom, and some change and some don't, what's the difference? It's weird to say this because probably nobody feels this, uh, consciously speaking, but your shame can become actually really familiar Mm. and a kind of familiar cesspool. And there's something about the familiar voices or beliefs about yourself, the sense of yourself, that people will stay in versus the unknown realm of there's a weight to your glory that some men get afraid of bearing about themselves. If you actually stopped believing this shame, life will get messier. Life will get more unknown. You won't be able to predict what it will be like when you come home to your wife. Mm. If you don't act out of this shame, And so there's something about the predictability. One of the prophets says of the people, they dearly loved their shame. Mm. Mm. That's bizarre to me. Mm. Like, what? What are you talking about? Nobody wants shame, right? Right? Mm. But there's actually something lighter and more predictable to shame than glory. So if you stopped, like you know, this is probably familiar there, there, you know what a hangover feels like to wake up to, you know how to cope with it. You know how to have this fight with your wife. You know how to get angry at your kids Mm -hmm. and feel like crap. Um, You know how to name it. You know how to just keep being a workaholic and just keep killing it at work, right? So it's sometimes just easier to stay with what's familiar and that, ah, oh, right? You're, we're made for the unknown. Mm-hmm. But when I think of what tips men, it's that willingness to enter the unknown of mm. there's more to you. This has been wrong about you. Because it can feel like, gosh, I have a 20-year addiction to pornography. I am a horrible man. Mm-hmm. And if I'm coming and saying, you're not a horrible man, that's been a pattern of living and it's harmed you and the people around you, but it's not your death sentence. Mm. Now what? Right? And it's going to get messier 
if you don't live according to that because maybe there's people that treat you as the horrible man mm -hmm. that that seems to say you are. Yes. And so now you're going to face disruption. So there's, there's something of that mm -hmm. that I think gets tricky for men. And, yes. and also evil doesn't want to give up the ground it has in your life. Mm -hmm. So evil will blow things up when you start to give up your shame. Evil will cause crazy things, crazy, crazy things in your life when you start making movement towards, I, I want to be free. Yeah. I don't want to live. I'm going to be the guy that is clearly, truly me with the, the animal mounts yes. and the stories behind them. That's actually me. Yes. And um, what God will do to help you enter that, right? Like obviously God doesn't leave you alone in that work. God's going to write stories of where he blesses your glory. Yes. Where he's, where it's seen and, and, and he names it for you or, but, but there's war for that, right? Evil doesn't want to give that place up. Yeah. It's really helpful for you to name it because um, we can have this tendency to move towards self-reliance and the idea of, you know, it's a human problem with a human solution, but we live in a supernatural world mm -hmm. and there's supernatural powers, forces of wickedness and evil that are set against God in us and through us. And there's also a father at work inviting us in shepherding this process. And so as you say that, like I'm aware, Sam, yesterday, day one for my youngest child to go to high school. Mm. It's a moment. It's a moment for my wife. It's a moment for me. It's a moment for us. It was a blink ago, right? Mm. And what I wanted was the intimacy of connection with her to pray, to have a sacred drive to school. Like we have had many amazing drives when they were littles. Um, there's no buses in our school system. And what I had was a frantic 14-year-old teenager that spent 45 minutes working hair and drip and everything that a 14-year-old girl needs for school that's important, that's vital. And dad is not vital. Dad's an Uber, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I could feel the predictable. I could feel the, I'm good at this. I'm good at blowing this up, is, hey, to be known, like, I'm trying to help you here. I'm I'm your advocate. And to be known, like, we're going to pray before you step into that dungeon with a bunch of gorillas into high school. Like, we're going to pray, right? All these things with this energy that's actually coming out of the, this isn't how I wish it was in this moment as mm -hmm. a dad. Mm -hmm. My father's heart was aching, mm. just wanting to be connected with my baby girl. Mm -hmm. And the true heart in me needs to give her permission to be 14. And the true heart in me needs to recognize my shame of I'm failing as a dad is actually separate from my longing to be a loving dad and to know actually the invitation to stay present. Don't blow this up. Don't blow this up. And so I'm naming that ambivalence. And I did a little bit of both. I was gruffing a little bit and puffing and reacting. And, and then I had just enough governor to say, don't go there. And just, God, just breathe. God, you're in me. Don't blow this up. Damage control. 
and we get in the car and most of the drive is country music and not praying. And most of the drive is her in her world in her own thoughts. And me just in my world um, of just staying in God. And then the last 45 seconds, it was, hey, Abs, I'd love to pray. And she's like, great, because it's what we've done for years. Mm -hmm. And it was just enough. And the idea is both were at work. Mm -hmm. And I hear what you're saying. The predictability mm -hmm. is safer than the unknown mm -hmm. of if I'm a loving dad where I've never parented a teenage daughter, I don't know how this is going to go and I can't control unless I just pull the authority card and I can't control what she thinks of me. I can't control um, how, how this day will play out, mm. but I can control the person I want to become and I wanna become a safe place for my princess. Mm -hmm. I wanna be safe. I wanna be a place where in the end, the, the long game over decades, she knows that dad delights in her and there's nothing she can do or not do or say or not say where I will withdraw my delight mm. and my affection, mm. even though now in the season, she's very uninterested in my affection mm. and in some ways, even my delight, mm. but that's okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Man, that is well done to fight that and to I have- would. It was ish, man. It was <laughs> mediocre at best. <laughs> well, to, and just to notice the delight of sitting and listening to country music together mm. and the the being of that and and, um, and that's poetry in mm. its own way. Sam, thank you. And, and again, we don't see clearly, right? We all see dimly. And so it's even you reflecting back, like mm. it, it's, it is the father's heart just validating because mm. I came out that going, well, I got on base, but mm -hmm. it, I walked, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I really appreciate your eyes and your strength. So as we wrap up, just kind of in summary, you're talking to men all around the world that want to become wholehearted. They want to become mature. They want to act, to move, to engage as they've been made to be but they're all facing some clear and present danger. Like if you had to name a couple of things, two or three things that a man needs to participate in God's intention for his masculine initiation with the goal of becoming a wholehearted man, what are some of the things a man needs? Hmm. Ah, that's a great question. I would say maybe first of all, what he needs is his tears. Hmm. So, you know, I've, I've highlighted the presence of shame and evil's work in our lives. And I would say, you know, there's really only two ways out of shame. The, the first is with contempt. So blow things up in your life, right? Um, hate yourself, you know, attack somebody else. Like that's one way we get out of shame is um, blow something up mm -hmm. um, or, or take some, you know, uh, calling yourself an idiot. That, I mean, and again, I'm not saying that's a good way out of shame, mm -hmm. right? It's not. It causes harm. The only other way out of shame is kindness. So some ability to, as you did well, um, connect with uh, your heart for your daughter and your heart for yourself and what you want um, and 
you know, I, I know the audience can't see your face, but I can see the mm. tears that well up mm. in you as you think about your love for your daughter mm. and the kindness to your own heart for her and the struggle of that mm -hmm. yesterday. Like there was compassion on what you wanted mm -hmm. in the frustration, right? Like that work to be able to engage your heart with kindness. We usually have to start by being kind to ourselves. Mm. So, and usually that's some form of tears. Sam, it's fascinating that you would say that because I, so the rest of that story, I drop her off. I'm driving away and what I'm feeling is shift my heart, like just shift the channel in my soul and get down to business, get my shit together, go about my day, right? I've got a big day ahead of me and I'm praying and I'm aware of some other thing in me. And I just said, father, like, what, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to pull your truck over and I want you to cry. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? And then I realized like the temptation was just throw down. And, and what it is, is you're putting words to it, is minimize my own heart mm -hmm. and let even shame have a voice of, well, I'm not as shitty of a dad as I could have been. I'm just a little shitty, you know? And instead I pull the truck over and I just cry. And in that, it was like, it, as you're naming choosing kindness towards myself to say, we don't get to write our story, mm -hmm. but we get to participate. And God is authoring something for my daughter and he's authoring something for me. Mm -hmm. And this is worthy of grieving. Like that's what's right with me. Mm -hmm. And then through that, moving on to my day, like really connected with God and connected with my own heart, and then actually had a pretty redemptive moment with my daughter later that night. I picked mm -hmm. her up and and took her to Dutch Brothers and got her favorite drink, and we were just laughing at her making custom emojis of me, like this bald, creepy-looking guy. And it was like redemptive because <laughs> I was engaged. I wasn't punishing her yeah. for not receiving what I wanted to offer yeah. really out of my need. And so offering kindness towards ourselves, yeah. really participating with tears, like, that can sound counterintuitive to the masculine soul yeah. and kind of the bravado and the yeah. caricature of masculinity. Yep. Um, but that's a treasure. Yeah. Are there others? Some need to be able to find healthy forms of comfort. As I said, like often our coping, broken coping ways are relief and revenge. They actually create harm though they do relieve something temporarily. So some way to find comfort um, in good ways. So that's relationship, that's um, exercise. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could do a whole conversation on mm -hmm. just that, right? Like what are ways to get comfort, conversation with God, solitude, just some way to find comfort mm -hmm. for your struggles and to be aware of your need, to be mm -hmm. able to connect to like, I, I need something yes. right now. Right, that need is valid. Yes. What will I fill it with? Yes. And I've loved asking that question to men. There's a, a great podcast earlier this year on maternal deprivation where we got into that, asking men, where do you go for healthy comfort? Yeah. And just so fun to see what comes out of sitting by a campfire, being near water, taking an extra long shower, cutting yeah. my grass. It's just so fun yeah. to hear that you can find those. You can, yeah. if you if you search your heart and say, I am made to be comforted, 
Yeah. Where will I find that that's healthy and, and redemptive towards myself and other people? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Maybe the last thing I would add here is I talked earlier about the symbolism that's mm -hmm. inherent in our stories. And I think some ability to read your own story mm -hmm. or your own life or the events of your life or a moment in a relationship and to try to hear the heart, like the pulse of it or the symbolism of it. So like your ability to have the pulse on what your daughter was going through. This is not a moment for me to hammer the uh, control or the mm -hmm. structure, the whatever. Yep. Um, and I fail at that all the time with my boys um, where I, you know, I want to impose the, the control or you need to pick this up or we need to get going, right? Like, and there's moments that, to urge them on, but there's other moments, the ability to read another's heart yes, or the ability to read your own, like yes. something else is here. I'm calling that the poetic or the intuitive, mm -hmm. right? Like, like there's more behind the surface here yep. to try to get to that deeper thing. And obviously that's true of like conflict in a relationship. If you just take people's words, um, you'll, you'll get offended a lot and it will probably be hard to work something out, but some ability to turn towards the poetic, like what, what's behind what's being said yes. here or, um, and again, in, in your own story is usually where you have to start. Yeah, Sam, it's such a um, healthy, hopeful and challenging kind of a proposition to men because we want to simplify things, right? We want to make a list. We want to have structure often but you're inviting us to that big idea of things are not what they appear to be. There's more happening yeah. than we have come to believe. And it has to start with our own curiosity of our souls, yeah. of the text of our story, of the actual um, situation in which we find ourselves in our mission, in our marriages, with our children, with our friends. You know, God has called us to steward part of his kingdom. Like it's a pretty wild thought. Yeah. That it's all God's, it's not ours. Yeah. And that we're not only ambassadors, but we're stewards. And so in just listening to you, it's it's really sobering me and exciting me to just ask fresh, God, like, where have I made friendship with shame? Where mm. have I chosen the familiar and predictable over the risk of the unknown? Mm -hmm. And what are you inviting me out of? And how do we get there by starting with me looking at my own life, even the things that are so close that I've come to like really fixed assumptions about relating to my wife, relating to my neighbors, but God is dynamic and God is at work and he's wanting to show me more and I want to go there with him. Mm. Thank you for your work with so many men, mm. so many couples. Um, I have the privilege of being blessed by so many people you work with because you're here locally, but I also love that you do Zoom counseling mm -hmm. and I know you have a wait list, but for the thirsty, I want to encourage you out there. Um, if you want more, um, Sam Jolman, um, is a trusted guide and he's a good friend 
and I, I deeply urge you to turn your website, Sam, uh, samjoman.com, right? Mm -hmm. It's Sam, S-A-M, Joman, J-O-L-M-A-N.com. And like becomegoodsoil.com, that's just kind of the home of the things entrusted to his care. So there's some opportunities to connect with him and there are upcoming offerings that are at work from the book and in other things. And so tuck away that website and pray. And I would invite you to go back, take another pass at this podcast where you have time to linger and use it as an opportunity to do kind of your own inventory. Uh, what's the inciting incident? What's God exposing? What's the path to restoration? And where do these things like kindness and poetry uh, play a role in your redemption, um, it matters more than you might think. Morgan, this has been great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Sam, we'll do it again. Thanks. And friends, thanks for dialing in on another Become Good Soil podcast. And as always, there are 45 seconds of silence at the end of this. So before you race off to other things that need your attention, I invite you to enjoy the time, be present, breathe, and Invite God to shine his light on what he has for you in this moment.